Hello, welcome back to another edition of Wrestling Highlights of the Week, where I talk about Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, Impact Wrestling, and AEW Rampage. This week happens to be the fallout week from SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver 36. And also, AEW also is coming off of a huge, bringing a huge get from the wrestling world, CM Punk coming into AEW Rampage last week, and I will be giving you guys what he said on AEW Dynamite this week, and I will be also, at the end of this program, I want to talk about John Cena for a minute, because we're not going to see John for a good bit, but something really stuck with me uh, this week with John, but before I get to that and everything else, let me start off with Monday Night Raw. Raw opens up with an in-ring promo from Lashley and MVP. MVP says that him and Lashley were shocked when Goldberg came back weeks ago to challenge Lashley for the WWE Championship. MVP ends up giving credit to Goldberg for looking amazing at SummerSlam. He even credits Goldberg for pinning Bobby Lashley, and not a lot of people can actually say that they pinned Bobby Lashley in a pay-per-view style match. And Lashley just looks at MVP like, well, how are you just giving this man credit? And MVP says, well, hey, I'm giving him credit. It was He deserved it. But... In the end, Lashley stopped Goldberg at SummerSlam. MVP starts calling Goldberg a coward after this because Goldberg couldn't get up to finish the fight with Lashley after, well, he got hit in the behind the leg in the kneecap with MVP's cane. That's something that MVP forgot to mention. But he was calling Goldberg a coward, and he starts calling everybody in the arena a coward. And then he moves on to talking about how Lashley put somebody in a hurt lock because somebody attacked Lashley like a coward in the ring at SummerSlam, and he, and he mentions how Goldberg will destroy anybody that jumps over the barricade. And he was basically trying to give you the preference that he put Goldberg's son in a hurt lock because, well, he jumped over the barricade because Lashley was beat up on his father even after the match. And that anybody that's jumped over the barricade should know that once you jump over the barricade, you're no longer safe. You are in a wrestler's environment. You are in dangerous territories and that nobody ever should jump over the barricade. That's basically MVP's whole thing. And MVP tells anybody that thinks Lashley should apologize for what he did to Goldberg. Lashley steps in and says, go to hell. Out comes Damian Priest, the new United States champion, to confront MVP and Lashley. Priest starts sticking up for Goldberg. Priest tells Lashley that he is here in his face and challenges him to a match later tonight. Lashley doesn't want to accept. He just starts walking away. And Priest tells Lashley that if he doesn't accept the challenge, then he is the one who's a coward. Lashley looks at Priest in the face and just punches him and decks him. And now you got Priest and Lashley just brawling out of the brawling in the ring. Priest ends up getting the better of Lashley and throws him out of the ring. And now you got Lashley all frustrated and furious. He wants to choke out Priest. And MVP gets on the mic and tells Priest that, you know what? Lashley accepts your challenge. As a matter of fact, Lashley's going to go to the back right now, change, and he'll be right out here to beat your butt. Lashley walks straight to the back, and now we get a commercial break. So now we know that Damian Priest will go against Lashley next. To come back from commercial break and... Lashley comes down to the ring, and now it's Damien Priest going against Lashley. Priest beats Lashley by disqualification because Sheamus comes out and attacks Damien Priest. The ref calls for the bell. Sheamus pick, picks up Priest, and he holds Priest so Lashley can throw in some shots and hits him. And Drew McIntyre ends up running down to help Priest. So now this gets turned into a tag team match. Now, Priest and Drew beats Sheamus and Lashley by pinfall. The only reason how this happened is 
Drew was beating up on Sheamus. Sheamus ends up hitting the white noise off of the middle rope. Now Drew's in peril and Drew ends up tagging in Priest. Priest runs over and kicks Sheamus. And then he runs over to Lashley who's on the opposite end of the apron waiting to get tagged in. He knocks Lashley off the apron and MVP grabs Lashley and he starts walking up the ramp into the back. And Sheamus is watching Lashley do this and he's just so perplexed. Just like everybody on the commentators and everybody in the fans are just wondering like why Sheamus in the ring by himself and Lashley's going up the ramp. While Sheamus is looking perplexed, Priest ends up tagging in Drew and this gives Drew the perfect opportunity to Claymore kick Sheamus right in the face and get the win for his team. So Damian Priest and Drew McIntyre beats Lashley and Sheamus by pinfall. After this, we have a backstage interview with Dewdrop. Dewdrop mentions how she appreciates Eva for getting her foot into the raw. But she isn't here to be a doormat. She also mentioned how Eva gave her the name Dewdrop to knock her self-esteem. But now she has embraced the name Dewdrop. And she actually likes the name. She mentions how next time she sees Eva, she's going to Dewdrop her on her head. And as soon as she is done saying this, a production case ends up like rolling in and hitting Dewdrop right dead in the gut. And we don't know who rolled that production case right in. But then Eva pops out. Eva... Starts rolling that thing right again into her chest again. And Dewdrop just falls, stumbles right onto the case. Eva picks up Dewdrop by the head and keeps on just bashing her head right onto the production uh, case. And then leaves her on the floor. Eva mentions how ungrateful Dewdrop is. And Eva ends it by saying this is the evolution. So now we're going to get Eva versus Dewdrop. And Dewdrop's more or less going to beat up Eva so much that Eva might have to take some time away. Or Eva might find a new bodyguard to, like, watch over her back from Dewdrop. Eh, we'll just have to see. After this, we get a match from Karrion Cross and Ricochet. Karrion Cross is now on the main roster full-time. And Karrion Cross beats Ricochet by submission. This match was all about speed versus strength, with Ricochet having the speed and Karrion Cross having the strength. And strength wins. Cross ends up hitting a powerbomb and then transitions it into a Doomsday Suplex, which is now known as the Doomsday Suplex, but formerly known as Saito Suplex. And then Cross was able to lock in the Cross Jacket and make Ricochet tap out. This is nothing really to write about or tell you about. It's just a real quick match. After this, we have a segment of Sheamus looking around backstage for MVP and Lashley. Once he finds them, Sheamus tells MVP and Lashley that why did they leave him out there when he came out there to save Lashley in the first place. Lashley tells Sheamus that he didn't need Sheamus to come out and save him in the first place. And also, they're not in business together. Lashley tells him he can either take it or else. Sheamus says, or else? Or else what? Lashley then tells Sheamus then, we got business then. MVP gets in the middle of these two guys before they even throw hands on one another and tells Sheamus to leave. As Sheamus is leaving, he tells Lashley anytime, anywhere as he's walking away. And it gets scheduled that next week on Monday Night Raw, it will be Sheamus versus Lashley. And personally, I think that's just going to be two guys just throwing haymakers at one another. And I can't wait to see that. After this, we go back to the ring. And now we're having an in-ring segment of Moist TV. John Morrison is hosting the show and he has his guest. And the guest is Logan Paul. The fans immediately start booing Logan Paul as he walks down into the ring, gets in the ring and even tries to answer one of Morrison's questions about his brother Jake Paul's fight with Tyron Woodley this upcoming Saturday, which is tonight. And Logan tries to answer this, but the fans are just constantly booing him and booing him and booing him, not even trying to let this man get a word out. 
So the Miz ends up coming out, and Miz at the beginning is kissing Logan Paul's butt by naming all of Logan Paul's accomplishments, saying he's a podcaster, saying that he boxed with Floyd Mayweather, saying that he's a successful YouTuber, and yada yada yada. And then Miz does a whole 180 and then asks Logan, what rounds is his brother going to get knocked out in? Logan tells Miz that Jake is going to knock out Tyron. And if he asks another one of those questions, Tyron is the only one that's going to get knocked out this week. And Logan steps up to Miz. And Miz tells Logan he needs to get out of his face. Morrison gets in between the two. And Morrison tells Miz that he makes everything about him. And now you get these two bicker, bickering one another. Logan leaves out of the ring. And Xavier Woods music hits, and now we have a match between Miz and Xavier Woods. Also, the note, Miz is in ring gear this time. Last week, he wasn't in ring gear. He was in the suit. This week, he's in ring gear, so he's in, so he's ready for in-ring competition. Xavier Woods ends up beating the Miz by pinfall because Miz was trying to call John Morrison up to spray Xavier Woods with the drip stick. The Miz holds Woods, and as soon as Morrison gets on the apron and sprays at Woods, Woods ducks and Miz ducks. So now the referee is like trying to get Morrison off the apron. And as he's doing this, the Miz hits a roll up on Xavier Woods. And he has Woods down to the count of six. You have the fans counting and then you have the commentators counting. And the referee ends up turning around at the count of four. Xavier Woods ends up kicking out of the pinfall at the count of two. And he ends up hitting Miz with a small package roll up. And he ends up getting the win. So now the Miz is looking at Morrison and he's so perplexed as in how did Morrison end up screwing this up? Morrison is saying, hey man, I was trying to uh, spray him with a drip stick. You saw me, you signaled for it and he just happened to miss out the way. I'm sorry, guy, I'm sorry. Miz has his hands balled up and he wants to punch Morrison, but he calms himself down and tells Morrison to get the rest of the drip stick so he can spray it out into the crowd. Morrison ends up getting the rest of the drip sticks. Now Morrison has one, the Miz has one, and the Miz and Morrison start spraying the crowd, and then Miz ends up decking Morrison in the head. And now you got the Miz just constantly beating up on Morrison and beating up, beating him up, and beating him up. And Corey Graves is so starstruck by this because Corey Graves was always on the side of Miz and Morrison saying these two are the greatest tag team of the 21st century. How can they break up? They'll never break up. But now he's witnessing it with his own eyes. And The Miz ends up hitting John Morrison with a skull-crushing finale and leaves the ring. And as The Miz leaves the ring, he stands on the ramp and just stares at Morrison laid out in the ring. And now you can tell that we're going to get a Miz versus Morrison match somewhere down the line. Matter of fact, you don't even have to wait that long because next week on Monday Night Raw has been official. Miz will be going against John Morrison in the ring. After this, we get a video package of Reggie going to an ice cream truck and talking about when he was a kid, he was so poor that he couldn't buy ice cream. Now he can buy as much ice cream as he wants because he's a 24-7 champion. As Reggie is talking, R-Truth comes out of nowhere in disguise, and Tazero Tazal comes out of nowhere in disguise. And then you have a referee lurking in the back behind Reggie. Reggie ends up buying the two ice cream cones, and as he turns around, Truth pops up and says, gotcha, but Reggie hands him one of the ice cream cones. And then Tazawa pops up out of a trash can, and Reggie gives him the other ice cream cone. This distraction allows Reggie some time to run away from the two before they even realize that Reggie's running away. Reggie ends up climbing on a tree and then jumping on top of the ice cream truck. While Reggie's on the ice cream truck, he tells the driver that he's going to need a lift. 
Reggie ends up jumping off of the ice cream truck, which is a feat of, feat of ability by itself. But he jumps off the ice cream truck, and then he jumps into the ice cream truck and starts getting away as Truth and Tozawa are just standing there, and those two are just bickering about which one of them lost focus of Reggie. After this, we get another backstage segment, but this time between the new Raw Tag Team Champions, RK-Bro. Riddle tells Orton that he is super excited about the celebration that he plans for Randy, and he knows Randy's going to enjoy it. Orton tells Riddle that he isn't one for celebrations and tells Riddle another thing, that don't do anything stupid. Riddle responds by saying, will he do anything stupid and rolls away on a scooter? Now we go back to the ring, and it's time for Mansoor to go against Jinder Mahal. They play a video before the match starts of Mansoor talking to Mustafa Ali. Mansoor tells Ali that when he faces Jinder tonight, he wants to win the right way. Mansoor doesn't want Ali to interfere in the match no matter what. Ali looks at Mansoor and says, okay, you do it your way. We'll see what you got. As soon as the match is going on, Jinder was beating up on Mansoor in the ring. Ali was pacing on the outside just pacing back and forth, watching it. This whole thing happened. No, he can't help Mansoor because he's trying to respect what Mansoor wants to do. And he allows Mansoor to get his butt beat, beat so bad that Jinder ends up getting uh, disqualified because Jinder gets so upset, he puts his foot on Mansoor's neck. And he doesn't get off of his neck, even though he got until five. He doesn't even get off at the count of five. And the referee calls for disqualification. As soon as Jinder leaves the ring, Mustafa Ali gets in and tells Mansoor, that we can continue doing things your way, or we can do them my way. And then Mansoor just looks at Ali, and Ali just walks out of the ring. Now we go to a backstage statement between Drew McIntyre and the new United States champion, Damian Priest. Priest tells Drew, thank you for helping him tonight. Drew tells Priest that it was no problem, and that he wanted to get his hands on Lashley and Sheamus anyway, because he has had some past issues with the both of them. Drew tells Priest that tonight they're going to go out and party it up. Priest says, okay, and that's the end of that. Now we have an in-ring promo from Charlotte Flair. The whole main point of this is that Charlotte Flair is out here to tell the friend, fans, I told you so. Charlotte mentioned how she is a 12-time Women's Champion. One-time Divas Champion, five-time SmackDown Women's Champion, and now a six-time Raw Women's Champion. She says she is the greatest and that no woman is ever going to touch her legacy. She mentions how she doesn't need friends, she doesn't need family, nor the WWE Universe. Charlotte raises up the Raw Women's Championship and says, this is all I need. Charlotte says the only reason she is out here is for the people to look at her. And she proclaims that she started the women's revolution, well, evolution, and that tonight she is starting a new evolution. Alexa ends up walking out on the ramp and congratulates Charlotte. Charlotte is looking at Alexa like, why are you here? And then Alexa ends up telling Charlotte that Lily and Alexa just wanted to say hi. So now we already got the idea that Alexa is going against Charlotte somewhere down the line. The next pay-per-view is Extreme Rules, and that could fit with whole Alexa's whole uh, deal with her having like these mystical powers or whatever the case she has. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they build up this Alexa versus Charlotte situation. It's going to be interesting. After this, we get to another backstage segment, but this time it's between Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Shayna tells Nia to get her head in the game. She tells Nia that whenever those two are on the same page, they are unstoppable. 
So they want to go out there and beat up anybody they can. We go now to in-ring competition. It is a women's tag team match of the team of Rhea Ripley and Nikki A.S.H. Going against Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. The team of Rhea Ripley and Nikki beats Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler by Rhea Ripley hitting the riptide on Shayna Baszler and getting the win. This is basically this whole match about the continuation of Nikki and Rhea just needing a win after them both losing at SummerSlam the night before and the downward spiral of both Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax. And I'm waiting for these two to actually split and Shayna go after the Raw Women's Championship. And more or less, Nia Jax just... I'm hoping that she goes off to SmackDown because she needs a new scenery. She's been on Raw long enough. She's never, ever, like, transitioned over to SmackDown. She's always been a Raw uh, female competitor. And for her to go over to SmackDown, I think that will be at least livening something up. After this, we have our main event segment. It's the championship celebration of Team RK Bro. Riddle comes down, scooting down to the ring. And Riddle talks about the trials and tribulations of what RK Bro has been through. After that, Riddle then introduces Randy Orton. Randy walks down to the ring. He gets in the ring. He wants to do his pose, like on the second rope that he usually does. But each corner, each turnbuckle is covered with balloons. And Randy just looks at Riddle and Riddle's just so happy. He's cheesing it up. And Riddle just decided to tell the ring announcer to do what they've been practicing earlier. And what they've been practicing earlier is this. The announcer then announces RK-Bro as the new Raw Tag Team Champions. After he's done announcing that, you get Pyro going off. And it's a good bit of Pyro for a Raw Tag Team Championship celebration. After the Pyro is finished, Riddle tells Randy that he has something for Orton. Riddle gives Orton a scooter. And the scooter has tassels on it. Uh, the RK Bro, I believe, sticker on it, and even has Orton written on the uh, scooter. AJ Styles and Omos comes out to crash the celebration, and AJ tells Riddle that Orton didn't get him anything. How Orton is a bad tag team partner to Riddle. Orton's a bad friend. But AJ has something for Riddle. AJ has a phenomenal forearm to give to Riddle tonight. AJ tells Riddle that he's going to beat up Riddle until AJ Styles and Omos get their tag team title opportunity. Riddle ends up accepting the challenge from AJ Styles, and they have a match right now. So the main event of Monday Night Raw is Matt Riddle going against AJ Styles. Riddle ends up beating Styles when Riddle hits a bro Derek and gets the win. The reason this happens is because Orton tries to stop Omos, but Omos ends up throwing Orton into the barricade. Orton decides to grab a scooter and starts hitting Omos in the back and then across the stomach. AJ sees this, but he can't do nothing because he knows he got to deal with Riddle. And as soon as he turns around, he eats a bicycle knee and then he eats a bro Derek for the win. After this, you hear Randy and Riddle just celebrating, more or less Riddle celebrating. And AJ still laid out and Orton is just still hovering over AJ Styles' body. AJ decides that he's going to take some time to get up. And then when he finally gets up, Randy's right there. Randy throws the Raw Tag Team titles towards Riddle so Riddle can catch it. And then he hits RKO on his own to AJ Styles. And AJ gets flattened out with RKO and Omos pulls AJ out. And now you can tell that this rivalry is going to be intensified somewhere down the line 
I don't know how long they're going to keep this rivalry up, but it should be entertaining. Hopefully next week, not next week, but ne- next month on Extreme Rules, we get some type of like stipulation with this whole team because Omos needs to get in there and dominate more than he has been showing. So I'm hoping like for like some type of tornado tag or even like a, no, a tornado tag should be fine. So that's what I'm hoping for. But anyway, that's the end of Monday Night Raw for this week. Now it's time for NXT. NXT opens up with a limousine riding down to the arena. And on the inside of the limousine is the million dollar champion, Cameron Grimes and Ted DiBiase. They walk out of the vehicle and they decide that they're going to walk inside the building. And they walk directly to the ring. And now it's time for the million dollar championship celebration of Cameron Grimes and Ted DiBiase. Ted mentions how whenever he first got to NXT, he was looking for somebody physically gifted and strong of heart to carry the million dollar legacy. And Ted DiBiase is proud that Grimes is the man to carry on that legacy. Grimes states that when Ted got to NXT, he drove Grimes nuts. Grimes said that he was losing sight of who he was when he got a lot of money. Grimes states that at TakeOver, he and Ted took out LA Knight, and now he is the Million Dollar Champion, and now they're going straight to the moon. And as soon as he hits this catchphrase, you start seeing dollar bills fly out of nowhere and drop from the ceiling and everything else. But it's not regular dollar bills. It's not dollar bills you can use. It has Cameron Grimes' face on the money, and it's just a commemorative bill. And now you got Ted DiBiase laughing, you got Cameron Grimes just all cheesing it up. So that was the end of that segment. After this, we have our first match of the night of Rich Holland going against Timothy Thatcher. And this was a smash mouth match of two dudes just throwing hits and just that's all it was. Holland has power. He doesn't have much of grappling ability as Thatcher has a technical strategy. He's a uh, technical wizard in the ring. He knows how to maneuver with your fingers and maneuver with your arms and your legs and ankles. And these two had a real nice match, but in the end, Thatcher gets hit with a headbutt by Holland, and Holland then hits an Emerald Fusion on Timothy Thatcher to end the match. But after the match, Ciampa comes in to check on his partner, Timothy Thatcher, but he ends up getting attacked by Holland, but Ciampa is able to hold his own as he starts beating down on Holland. Then Pete Dunne runs into the ring, and... Ciampa was able to hold out on his own on Pete Dunn. So now you got Ciampa holding out and beating down on both Holland and Pete Dunn. But Ciampa gets pulled out of the ring by two individuals. And those individuals are later named as Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch, the former NXT Tag Team Champions. Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch beats down uh, Ciampa. And then now you got Holland getting in the ring. And now he's getting his hat and his billy club. And he's trying to walk, like, leave out of the ring. But he is pulled out of the ring by Thatcher. Thatcher is about to hit Holland. But Holland ends up hitting Thatcher in the arm with the billy club that we didn't know was still attached to Holland. Holland then hits Thatcher in the throat with the billy club. And now you have Thatcher holding on to his throat as he's just bagging off from Holland. And Holland wants to do more damage to Thatcher. But Pete Dunn steps in the way and tells Holland to start walking up the ramp. So now you got Dunn, Holland. Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch walking up the ramp and they're just looking at their destruction as the referee is looking at Thatcher hoping that somebody's going to come out there just to check up on Thatcher. After this, we get a backstage interview from Carmelo Hayes and he's one half of the NXT Breakout Tournament 
finals competitors is Carmelo Hayes and Odyssey Jones. Carmelo Hayes' whole main point of this whole interview for him is that he's going to give some insight of how he feels going against Odyssey Jones tonight. Carmelo doesn't see himself as an underdog. If anything, he sees himself as the overdog because he doesn't ever see himself as an underdog. He always sees himself as an overachiever. He knows that he is greatness personified. Carmelo says that he's been working hard to get to this point and doesn't expect to lose tonight. Even though Odyssey Jones is a big boy, he still plans on beating Odyssey Jones tonight and winning that NEC breakout tournament. After this, we get a backstage interview with Index. Indy Hartwell talks about how she is happy to be getting married to Dexter Loomis, and the interviewer ends up asking her, when will your wedding day be? Dexter Loomis ends up handing the interviewer a cartoonish drawing that he drew out of an invitation, and the date says September the 14th, so we're going to have an NXT wedding. This is the first time that's ever happened on NXT, but we'll see what type of craziness we're going to get from this. After this, we go now to in-ring competition of Casey Catanzaro and Caden Carter going against Gigi Dolan and JC Jane. This is for uh, which one of the two women tag teams to get one step closer to going against Zoe Stark and Io Shirai for the NXT Women Tag Team titles. In the end, Casey Carter and Caden Catanzaro hits their finisher, which is a Nightbreaker 450 splash combo on uh, JC, and then pins her and gets the win. I mean, there's no more to say about that. After the match, KC and Caden go to the commentator's booth and start calling out E.S. Ryan and Zoe Starks. They say they want the NXT Women's Tag Team titles. And I mean, I can't blame them because Zoe Starks and EO haven't been on television like that. They've been in segments, but not actually in in-ring competition. So it'll be a nice little refresher just to see those two get back in the ring again. Now we have a backstage interview with the NXT Women's Champion Raquel Gonzalez. Raquel gives credit to Dakota Kai, but she says that she knows Dakota is going to be coming back for more later down the line. But until then, all the women of NXT can try and take this championship away from her, but they won't be able to do it. As soon as she is done making that exact sentence, Frankie Monet walks up to her, and behind her she has Jesse Kamea and Robert Stone. Frankie tells Raquel that she doesn't stand in line, she doesn't wait in line, she jumps everybody. And she's going to let Raquel know when she's going to take that NXT Women's Championship away from her and take the shine away from Raquel Gonzalez and put it all on Frankie Monet. And Frankie ends up walking away and Gonzalez just looks at Frankie as she walks away. And that's the end of that. Now we get an interview from Odyssey Jones. The main point of this is Odyssey Jones can't wait to face Carmelo Hayes. Odyssey Jones is happy to have gotten to WWE and that people are liking what they see out of him. He knows Carmelo Hayes is going to be strong competition, but he's up for the challenge. After this, it's now time for the NXT American Soil version uh, debut of Kaylee Ray, but she ends up beating a female by the name of Valentina Forez by pinfall. This match was dominated by Kaylee Ray. This whole thing was just to showcase what Kaylee Ray is and who she is to the American audience, but Valentina was able to get some shots off but in the end, Kaylee Ray hits a gory bomb and gets the win. And Kaylee Ray is just one more step closer to challenging for the NXT Women's Championship. After this, we get a backstage uh, segment of JC, Jane, and Gigi Dolan walking backstage. And they're holding their necks because they just lost. And they're not in the greatest of moods. But they're stopped by Mandy Rose. Mandy tells them that if they never want to feel like this again, come with me. 
Gigi and JC just look at one another and they don't know, but they end up shrugging off their shoulder and they just walk with uh with Rose. So now we got a new uh three woman unit of NXT, and that's gonna be an interesting one to see because Mandy Rose is nothing but uh she's not a punk rock type of chick in Gigi Dolan and JC Jane or a punk rockish type situation. Just to see Mandy with those two is gonna be a completely different new look to Mandy's whole situation. After this, we have an in-ring promo from the new NXT champion, Samoa Joe. Joe talks about how NXT TakeOver, he went against Cross, and now he is the first ever three-time NXT champion. He says he knows he should be out here celebrating, but now isn't the time to be celebrating. He knows that whenever you become a champion, everything changed. And he notices whenever he went to the building today, he notices that the handshakes were a little bit colder. The stairs were a little bit longer, and you could tell the difference from the stairs. And he makes a challenge to anybody in the back to come out and step up to him. And the first man to come out is Pete Dunn. Pete Dunn comes down to the ring and gets in Joe's face, and he tells Joe that he doesn't care how many times he's won the NXT title. Joe knows he isn't the baddest man in NXT, and he wants him to find Regal to make the match between those two for the NXT championship. Now out pops out LA Knight. LA Knight lets Joe know that he watched Joe at TakeOver take on a man that he would have beaten in 50 seconds. LA Knight claims that he wants to be the first person to beat Joe and win the NXT championship. Now you have Kyle O'Reilly coming out, but he's hurt. He's holding on to his ribs. Kyle lets LA Knight know that the only thing that Knight has a chance at winning is a knockoff Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin vest contest. Kyle tells Joe that he isn't out here to talk his way into a title match. He has earned it. And as soon as he says this, Rich Holland comes out of nowhere and punches Kyle O'Reilly right dead in the ribs and headbutts Kyle behind the head. Pete Dunne tries to sneak attack Joe, but Joe catches him and now they're at a standoff. And out from nowhere... Tommaso Ciampa comes into the ring and starts beating down on Pete Dunne because early in the night, Pete Dunne and his boy Rich Holland put down Tommaso Ciampa's boy, Timothy Thatcher. So Ciampa's out here to get some revenge. And he's beating up on Dunne and he's doing the thing. Then Rich Holland comes down to the ring. He pulls Ciampa by the legs and was able to drop Ciampa with a headbutt. And now Ciampa's holding on to his neck and head as Pete Dunne rolls out of the ring to stand right next to Holland. Joe is watching all of this, and then Joe watches Holland and Pete Dunne stand right beside one another. And as this all this is happening, LA Knight tries to attack Samoa Joe from behind, but he gets caught by Samoa Joe. Joe grabs Knight by the neck and throws him out into the ring. Joe quickly switches attention back to Pete Dunne and Rich Holland to see if they're going to get in the ring and try to attack him, and they don't. And the segment ends with Samoa Joe holding up the NXT championship over his head, and showing off that he is the NXT champion, and that if anybody can want some, they can try. After this, we go to a live look to the parking lot where Cameron Grimes and Ted DiBiase is working towards the limousine. Ted tells Cameron Grimes that all good things must come to an end, and Ted is now leaving. Grimes tells Ted that he has been thinking about the Million Dollar Legacy a lot, and he hands Ted DiBiase back the Million Dollar Championship. He feels that Ted is the rightful owner of the championship and that it needs to be in his possession. Ted accepts the championship and Grimes starts walking away. Ted calls back Cameron Grimes to the limousine and says that this belongs to him. 
Ted hands Grimes the million dollar championship back. And Grimes can't believe that Ted actually gave him back the championship and that Ted actually wants him to keep it. Grimes starts tossing it at the belt up a little bit in the air and he starts feeling a difference. He says, this doesn't feel like the million dollar championship. As a matter of fact, this doesn't, this is weighing a lot less. This weighs a lot less. And then he turns the belt around and Grimes reads WWE replica. And then Ted DiBiase starts laughing maniacally and then the driver speeds off and Grimes can't believe that it's a replica. And, but Grimes is happy that he got duped by Ted DiBiase because the exact same way that Ted came in is the exact same way Ted came out. Ted DiBiase came in the NXT uh, duping and one-upping Cameron Grimes and the rightful way to, for Ted DiBiase to leave NXT is to dupe Cameron Grimes one more time and get the better of him. And Grimes is happy about it. Now we head straight to the backstage where Kyle is stopped by an interviewer and asking, and she's about to ask Kyle O'Reilly a question, but Duke Hudson tells Kyle that he isn't having a great night, is he, huh, bud? And he mock, and he says this mockingly, and Kyle O'Reilly doesn't even got time for games. He slaps Duke across the face. Duke gets upset, and he grabs Kyle up, and he pushes him right into lockers and punches him right in the ribs again. Kyle drops down, and Duke tells Kyle, don't you ever do that again. And as Duke is starting to walk away, Kyle O'Reilly gets up and punches Duke behind the back and starts throwing blows behind the back and Duke Hudson is able to reverse out of it. Now you see these two good dudes just brawling it out in the uh, backstage right next to the lockers and security is breaking it up between the two. And you hear Kyle O'Reilly saying that you're next, you're next to Duke Hudson. And that's the end of that backstage segment. Now we get to back to in-ring competition. Now it's the finals of the NXT breakout tournament and Regal's out there right next to the commentary table throughout this whole match he wants to see who's going to win and be the next nxc breakout superstar uh carmelo hayes ends up winning the match by beating odyssey jones whenever he hit odyssey jones with a lay drop behind the head like he did to every other one of his competition and he doesn't get the win he tries to do it again but he ends up missing and odyssey jones runs to the rope runs off the ropes and hit a splash on carmelo hayes he does a fancy pin he turns his back on Carmelo. He lays his back onto Carmelo as Carmelo's laid out. And he's counting with the referee because he had, thinks he has the win in the bag. He gets the two and then Carmelo is able to flip him over and hold him down. And Carmelo holds him down enough to get the three count and he ends up winning. And Odyssey Jones is just perplexed of how did he lose. He had the match wrapped up, but he understands that he made a rookie mistake. He gets out of the ring and he fist pounds Carmelo Hayes. and that's it for that. And next thing you see is Carmelo Hayes is right on the ramp with William Regal. And Regal gives Carmelo a contract for any title that he wants at NXT. And there's an interviewer next to Hayes and asks him, what title is he going after? Carmelo says, it's too early to choose. But the one thing he can tell you is that when Carmelo shoots his shot, he doesn't miss. He raises up the contract and Little sparks are coming out of the top and on the ramp for his celebration. So we have a new NXT breakout champion, well, breakout tournament winner, Carmelo Hayes, and he now gets a shot at any NXT championship that he wants. Now we head to a backstage promo from Pete Dunn, Rich Holland, Oni Lorcan, and Danny Birch. Dunn says it doesn't matter how many people wants to fight Joe. Joe knows how this is going to end. 
Dunn is NXT champion. Danny Burch and Ovi Lurkin both say that they are the rightful NXT tag team champions, so more or less they're going after the NXT tag team titles. And Holland says that he's going to put Tommaso Ciampa on the shelf next to his friend Thatcher. And that's the end of that promo. Now we go back to a ring, and now it's time for another in-ring competition, this time between Boa and Zion Quinn. Zion Quinn's a new guy on NXT. This is his first match on NXT television, I believe. And he ends up beating Boa. Boa was dominating the match. Boa was then given a signal by Mean Ying to end the match. And as soon as he turns around, Zion Quinn hits him with a flying forearm and pins Boa for the win. This was a shocking win to everybody because usually whenever a person doesn't get a like an entrance on any type of show, whether it be Raw, SmackDown, uh, NXT, AEW, whatever the case may be, they always lose. But this time, Zion Quinn beat Boa and he straight us up, goes up the ramp, but he sees Mean Ying right there, and he decides, you know what, I'm not going to go up the ramp. He goes right over to the opposite side of the barricade where no fans are, and he runs directly to the back that way. And now you have Mean Ying just looking at Boa with a menacing look. So this tells you Boa is in a lot of trouble with Mean Ying. After this, we go backstage to Johnny Gargano talking to William Regal in his office, and Johnny asks Regal to cancel the wedding of Index. Regal tells Johnny he isn't going to do that. And this gets Johnny really upset. Johnny asks him why. Regal says, well, because Indy and Dexter found love on NXT and it's going to be a great wedding. And personally, seeing you upset and get like this is great enjoyment. And LA Knight walks into the room and he asks Regal for a match with him and Joe because Joe put his hands on him earlier in the night and he tells Regal, didn't you see that? Didn't you see that? And now you have Johnny like, Going off on Regal, not even going off on Regal, he's just like trying to tattle that LA Knight didn't knock on the door. And that was Regal's whole thing with Johnny Gargano, but Johnny not knocking on the door. So now you got Regal standing there hearing both Knight and Gargano just running their mouths off. And the noise gets too much for Regal, and he kicks both Knight and Johnny out of his office. And Regal makes a match for next week on NXT. It will be Johnny Gargano going against LA Knight. After this, we get a Diamond Mind segment of Malcolm Bivens talking about how Roderick Strong is the uncrowned Cruiserweight Champion and how Roderick Strong right now is training with Julius and Brutus Creed, the Creed brothers, and how they're national champions of wrestling. And Bivens lets the people know that Strong is issuing an open challenge next week. Malcolm says this is showing Kushida what a champion truly is. Because Kushida hasn't been on NXT television last week, now this week, so this will be two weeks in a row. And if he doesn't show up next week, that'll be three weeks in a row. So Strong is here to show everybody what a true champion really is. Now it's time for the main event. A six-man tag team match between Legado del Fantasma that will consist of Santos Escobar, Raul Mendoza, and Joaquin Wild going against Hit Row that consists of Ashanti de Adonis, Top Dollar, and the NXT North American Champion, Isaiah Swerve Scott. And on the outside is their manager, B-Fab. The match, this match is a good match between these six men. Uh, Legato was able to hold down the match until Top Dollar got in. And then once Top Dollar got in, the big man out of everybody, he was able to dominate. Even at one point, Top Dollar held all three members of Legato by himself. He held two members on his shoulders, and then he held one member in his hand. And he was able to like hit a frontward slam 
on all of them all at the exact same time. So this show you the strength of Top Dollar. And towards the end of the match, it's now down to Isaiah Swerve Scott and Santos Escobar. Swerve hits a 450 on Santos, but that doesn't get the win. Santos ends up punching Swerve and then goes outside of the ring. Santos, as he's on the outside of the ring, mocks Swerve. While the referee is looking at Swerve, B-Fab shoves Santos into the ring post outside. Now, B-Fab is over the body of Santos Escobar, and she's talking smack to Santos. B-Fab turns around, and now she notices a female standing right there. The female is Electra Lopez. Electra Lopez is standing right there, and B-Fab is talking to Alexa, asking her, what's she doing out here? What are you doing? You ain't going to do nothing. You're not going to do nothing. And Electra Lopez just pulls out a metal pipe and hits B-Fab right in the gut. And might I add, that shot made a nice sound. It ringed off. And as that happens, you see Swerve and the referee look at what just happened. And Electra ends up throwing the pipe right into the ring into Swerve's hands. And the referee's trying to chastise Swerve to get that out, to, to drop the pipe and get it out of the ring. And you see Swerve telling the referee, you just saw me catch it. I don't, I'm not going to use this. I'm not going to use this. Santos gets back in the ring, hits a roll-up on Swerve, and gets the win. And now you have Santos and the rest of Legado del Fantasma on the entrance ramp with Electra Lopez, while all members of Hit Row are in the ring just looking at Legado and Electra. This is telling you that we're going to get a six per not a six, but an eight-person uh, elimination match or an eight-person match somewhere down the line. Because this hit row thing and Legato Down Fantasma is starting to heat up. And I mean, we're going to get out of this whole thing. We're going to get B-Fab going against Electro Lopez. I see that happening. We're going to get the NXT North American Championship matchup. Santos going against Swerve. I see that happening. And I'm not sure about Top Dollar and Ashanti Diodon is going against Raul and Joaquin Wild. I don't think that's going to happen. I just think the other two matches are going to happen. And then we're probably going to end it with a big blow off of the eight-person uh, tag team match. And that's going to be interesting to me. But anyway, that was NXT for the week. Now it's time for AEW Dynamite. Dynamite opens up with a match from Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy. A couple of highlights out this match. Orange Cassidy was able to hit a swanton bomb with his hands in his pockets. Orange Cassidy was able to pay homage to Matt's brother Jeff Hardy. And he also was able to hit Matt with a twist of fate. But that didn't give Orange Cassidy the win. Matt will try to lock in the leech lock, and Orange Cassidy was able to grab Matt's legs, drop down, put his hands in his pocket, and win the match and pin Matt Hardy. Um, Hardy in this match got busted open in the nose, and one thing that I do like to notice is that when Matt Hardy bleeds, he bleeds a lot. He's never ever a little bit of blood. He always like bleeds like a good amount of blood on his face or his shirt or off of his forehead. He just bleeds a lot. That's just a little thing that I did pick up whenever I watched this match. After this, we had a backstage promo from Malachi Black. Malachi Black agreed with Arn Anderson by telling Brock that he is going to give Brock a way out of this match. When the ref rings the bell, Brock is going to roll out of the ring, take the 10 count, take a DQ, do whatever you got to do. But after that, you're going to look me in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, Mr. Black. I didn't know what I was thinking. Take your father and head directly to the back. Because if this doesn't happen as the way that I laid it out, I'm going to hurt you. Your father, Cody, Dustin, anybody that is remotely associated with the Nightmare family. Malachi Black's just out here making a statement, letting everybody be known that if you're going to go against them, you at least have to be a formidable competitor. 
Brock Anderson is not a formidable competitor at all. He's only had nine wrestling matches throughout his whole career. And Malachi Black has been wrestling for 19 years. Brock is way, way out of his league. But you will know what happens later on in the program. Chris Jericho is in an in-ring promo. And Jericho says that he has lost the third time to MJF. And that he tapped out. Jericho's bothered by this because of his pride. Jericho doesn't like to fail, especially to MJF. And he's been repeating this mantra ever since he lost to MJF. He has to beat MJF, beat MJF, beat MJF. Jericho then goes on to continue that if MJF beats him again, he can't wrestle again at AEW. That is Jericho's um, offer to MJF at All Out. At All Out, it wants to be Jericho versus MJF. And the stipulation is if Jericho doesn't win, he doesn't wrestle in AEW again. MJF comes out and he says he's not a fool. He says the reason Jericho is coming back after him constantly is because MJF is the fastest rising star in professional wrestling. MJF made a promise to himself last week that he would never wrestle Jericho again. But MJF got to thinking that beating Jericho three times makes him great. But saying that you have made Jericho retire is legendary. So he agrees to the match. But before Jericho even thinks about it, MJF tells Jericho that he really needs to think about this because this will be his fourth time losing to MJF. And MJF finishes his statement by saying that he's better than Jericho and he knows it. And you just left with Jericho in the ring, just looking at the lights and really pondering to himself, is this really what he wants to do? After this, we have a semifinals for the tag team tournament between the Varsity Blondes and the Lucha Bros. This was a good tag team match. Again, AEW puts on excellent tag team matches. The Lucha Bros end up beating the Hollywood Blonde whenever Phoenix and Penta hits an assisted uh, pile driver on Pillman Jr. to get the win. Jurassic Express and the Young Bucks, both of these teams were watching the match because now the Lucha Bros have to go against Jurassic Express this Friday on AEW Rampage for the winners to go against the Young Bucks at All Out in a steel cage match for the AEW Tag Team Championships. Jurassic Express gets in the ring, they look at the Lucha Bros, and they shake hands with the Lucha Bros because they have mutual respect between the two teams. The Young Bucks rush into the ring and push the Jurassic Express into the Lucha Bros. Now, the Jurassic Express and Lucha Bros are having an argument because of the push and because the Jurassic Express got pushed into Lucha Bros, and now Lucha Bros are looking at Jurassic Express, and Jurassic Express trying to explain to them that the Young Bucks pushed them, and now you get a little moment that the Lucha Bros and Jurassic Express are stopped talking, and each staring at one another, and you think that they're about to throw blows. And the Young Bucks on the, at this moment are on the apron, and then you see Luchasaurus and Penta shake their head, and then they just kick the Young Bucks off the apron, and now you have Jungle Boy and Phoenix running off and hit Stereo Stu Suicide dives onto the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers outside the ring. And then they get back in the ring and now the Jurassic Express and the Lucha Bros are like celebrating that they just took out the Elite right here. And this is something that a lot of people haven't been doing. Usually the Elite are the last people standing tall at the end of a promo or even a segment. But this time all the Elite got took out. So this was a nice celebration for them. After this, we have another match of Jamie Hayter going against Red Velvet. Jamie Hayter beats Red Velvet by pinfall. It was a nice, it was a nice match. I mean, Red Velvet was able to get a lot of offense off in this match. I didn't think that was going to happen because Jamie Hayter hasn't been on AEW in a long time. And usually professional wrestling matches are they like to 
push the star that you haven't seen in a while and give him like a real easy match. And I thought that's what this was going to be, but it didn't happen. Um, in the end, Red Velvet ends up missing a moonsault, and this allows Jamie to hit Red Velvet with a backbreaker and then hit her with a lariat and gets the win off of this. Then after the match, Britt Baker and Rebel get in the ring and they try to attack Red Velvet, but Chris Statlander comes to make the save and she make Britt and Rebel and Jamie Hayter leave the ring. And now this is a match that's set up for All Out of Britt Baker defending her AEW Women's Championship against Chris Statlander. After this, we have a backstage promo from the Dark Order. And the Dark Order members are Evil Uno, Five, Ten, Cocobana, Alex Reynolds, and John Silver. Dark Order are in a disarray because they're having some friction between the group because some members in the Dark Order are looking at Evil Uno and Grayson for not for not protecting Adam Page when he got attacked by the Super Elite by not coming out there after Adam Page told them that he needs to be by himself, he needs to be left alone. Evil Uno thinks he's doing the right thing because he's following Adam Page's wishes. But Alex Reynolds tells Evil Uno that no, he's not doing Adam nothing. He's not doing Adam a favor. He's not doing anything. As a matter of fact, he's bringing more harm to Adam. Evil Uno tells Alex that he needs to sit back and stay in the shadow of John Silver as he's been doing. And then you see the rest of the members just hit a scoff like <gasps> at Evil Uno. And Evil Uno even realized what he said. He's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. He's trying to apologize to Reynolds. But Reynolds says, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with you. And I'm done with this whole thing. And he walks away and John Silver walks behind Reynolds. And that's the end of that. Now it's time for an in-ring promo, well, in-ring interview of CM Punk being interviewed by Tony Schiavone. Again, this was the CM Punk uh, highlight of the night because when CM Punk's music hits, the fans cheer. It's been a long time, and Punk's going to eat it up every time they throw him up on the television screen. And if I was AEW, hey, you just got Punk. You got the hottest, and I mean literally the hottest free agent in all of professional wrestling. To come back to professional wrestling, I would throw him up all my television scenes every single time. Shoot, even if he's not wrestling. Shoot, throw him up there for commentary. I mean, he got a match with Darby Allen, what, next week? Literally next week. So, yeah, put him on commentary if you want to do that for Rampage or anything like that. But have him build up. Anyway, uh, Tony Schiavone asks CM Punk, what's the one thing that brought him back to wrestling? And Punk starts naming off the young guys in the AEW locker room, the Penta, the Phoenix, the Jungle Boys. the I believe he even says MGF at one point. I'm not sure if he did, but maybe. But he ends it with Darby Allen. Punk says Darby Allen is reckless, and Punk's look at the rest of the talent in AEW and wonders if he can still go. And Darby Allen is his first test because Darby Allen doesn't fit the mold of what people think a professional wrestler should be, but he has a lot of heart. So Darby will be his first test to see if he still can be best in the world. But as soon as he hits that phrase, the wonder if he still can be best in the world, the fans start chanting, Yes, yes. Yes, Punk hesitates, and then he has a slight smile on his face, and he tells the fans, hey, that's somebody else's shtick. You guys will have to wait just a little bit longer. And you hear the fans just erupt with cheers because now Punk has dropped a hint that Dale Bryan, or better known as on his independent in-ring of honor name, Bryan Danielson, will be coming over to AEW. It's already been speculated, so Punk just dropping that nugget right there just tells you that, okay, it's been confirmed. We just now got to wait and wait and see when Brian Dancer is just going to pop on AEW. But that's the end of that segment. 
this whole thing was about Punk just basically talking to the fans again and let them know that he's back in AEW and that he can't wait to face Darby Allen at All Out. After this, we get a backstage promo from Miro. Miro says that he admits to being wrong. He talks about shaming Fuego Del Sol for taking the easy way out of getting a contract after losing to him at Rampage. But he says God has showed him the way and that there's an original sinner. So he forgives Fuego Del Sol, but he doesn't forgive Eddie Kingston. Because remember, Eddie Kingston came in in the summer of 2020 and he challenged Cody for the TNT title. He ends up losing, but he ends up getting a contract. So Miro brings that all back with, remember, this is for the TNT title that Miro holds now. And he's kind of like the gatekeeper for anybody that wants to come to AEW. So he lets Fuego Del Sol know that I forgive you, but Eddie, I'm not going to forgive you. And I want to see you come find me before I have to come find you. And speaking of Kingston, the next match that we have is a six-man tag match of Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, and Darby Allin beating the team of Ryan Nemeth, J.D. Drake, and Cesar Bononi of the Wingmen by pinfall. This was a fun-filled match. I mean, there's nothing to really talk about here. Darby Allin hits a coffin drop on J.D. Drake to get the win. And then after the match, oh yeah, Darby Allin was attacked by Daniel Garcia. And Daniel Garcia ends up leaving the ring when Sting gets in the ring after noticing that he's uh, protege Darby Allen is being attacked by Daniel Garcia. Daniel hasn't been signed by AEW, at least officially. This might be one of those situations where I talked about last week, or rather two weeks ago, of AEW having certain talent, not even talent, but just having this agreement with talent to come in and they'll pay them per appearance. Again, this is what WWE needs to be doing to at least freshen up their roster. You might not want to sign them to a whole full contract, but at least have them all pay by appearance. Take a note from AEW with this. Uh, after this, we have a Ty Conti backstage interview. Uh, before Ty Conti can even get a word out or even get asked any type of question, she's interrupted by the bunny. And the bunny asks Ty Conti why she's still hanging around the Dark Order after the Dark Order is having so much confusion right now. She ends up giving her a piece of paper and asks her to join the HFO, which is the Hardy family uh, organization, I believe. Uh, Ty Conti says no and rips up the paper in front of the bunny. And then the bunny and Ty just start getting into a fight and they get separated by security. After this, we have an in-ring promo from Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega, Don Callis, Michael Nakazawa, and Brandon Cutler come down to the ring. Don Callis says that Omega is going to take down Christian Cage once or for all at All Out. Christian Cage comes out and he shows a video to the people of Don of people that used to work with Don Callis whenever he used to run a promotion down in Canada, and this was about a good, what, 20, no, almost 25 years ago? And they mentioned, the people in the video mentioned how Don fired Christian in favor of working with a 10-year-old Kenny Omega. And Kenny Omega says that video proves that at 10 years old, he was a better athlete than Christian was at the age of 20, and that 20 years later, it still hasn't changed anything. Don tells Christian that he will always be second best, a.k.a. playing back and hearkening back to Christian always being the sidekick or even in the shadow of his friend Adam Copeland, a.k.a. Edge in the WWE. Christian hears this and he just and he's about to hit Don Callis, but he gets attacked by Omega, Cutler, and Nakazawa. And even Don Callis even gets some shots in himself. But before they can continue to like really beat up on Christian, Frankie Kazarian comes down and he has a pipe in hand to make the save. Omega and company leave the ring and now they start walking up the ramp. So at AEW Rampage, we have a tag team matchup 
Kenny Omega and Brandon Cutler going against Christian Cage and Frankie Kazarian. After this, we have a backstage uh, segment of John Moxley. Moxley talks about only getting one contract back from New Japan Professional Wrestling. And the person that signed that contract to face him at All Out is Kojima. So uh, New Japan legend will be making his AEW debut at All Out going against Moxley. Moxley says he feels insulted because a crazy old man feels like he can come over here and try to beat up on him. Moxley says no. When he gets in the ring, all that respect and everything goes out of the woodwork because he's in there to try to take his head off and just beat his head in like a basketball. So that's what he plans on doing. After this, we get another six-man tag team match of the Gun Club of Billy Gunn, Austin Gunn, and Colton Gunn going against the factory of Aaron Solo, Nick Camarado, and QT Marshall. This was nothing to talk about. The Gun Club gets the win because QT Marshall was paying attention to Paul White, who was on commentary at the time, and Colton Gunn ends up rolling up QT Marshall for the win, and Paul White starts laughing on the ramp, and he starts hugging up on the Gun Club because Paul White is extremely close to the Gun Club, so there you go with that. After this, we have a backstage interview. No, no, not even an interview. A backstage promo with Dan Lambert with Ethan Page of Scorpio Sky. Dan talks about how AEW fans are weak. The fans want to see guys that look like them instead of guys that are men, meaning they see guys like a Darby Allen or a Ray Phoenix or I believe even a Jungle Boy instead of guys that look like Scorpio Sky, who's a former mixed martial artist, and Ethan Page, who is a two-time black belt, I believe, in karate and taekwondo. They don't want to see tough guys. And he even poked fun at the crying CM Punk fan guy who cried last week whenever CM Punk uh, made his return to professional wrestling. Which, by the way, if you ever cry at a professional wrestling thing, hey, it's okay to do it. It's okay. It's fine. Because you know what? If nobody gets upset, if nobody makes fun of sports fans that cry after their sports uh favorite sports team win a championship or anything like that don't cry at professional wrestlers because you know what professional wrestlers at least impact the lives of people much more because i'll be getting into what that especially at the end because i told you i want to talk about john cena and that really dives in to that whole thing but anyway dan talks about how uh he's here to provide role role models like the men of the year and hopefully they will show the audience and every other man out there, how to be a real man. Now we go to an Arn Anderson uh, interview, and Arn Anderson's on the outside of his son's locker room, which is crazy to me, but all right. Arn says that his son is way over his head, but he's, he admits that his son has guts and tells uh, the interviewer that his son is going to have to pull everything out of the bag to try to make his way through this one tonight, even though Arn Anderson still doesn't believe his son could beat Malachi Black. Now it's time for the main event. Malachi Black going against Brock Anderson. And at the beginning, Brock Anderson was able to take down Malachi Black and even able to throw some hits on Malachi, but that didn't last so long. Malachi Black dominated Brock. And at one point, Malachi wanted Art Anderson to throw in the towel, but the, uh, Brock told his father, don't do it. Don't do it. And Arn throws the towel down on the ground. Malachi tells Arn to pick up that towel and throw it into the ring. Arn doesn't do that. He just stares at Malachi Black, and our Malachi tells him, throw, get the towel, and throw it into the ring. Because Malachi really doesn't want to hurt Brock, because he knows 
Brock's just trying to do this for his father. But Malachi will hurt him if he doesn't do anything about this. And Arn doesn't do it. And Malachi ends up at least busting up his son just a little bit, having some blood come down his forehead. Blood comes down, and he hits him with a spinning kick, and that's it for Brock. It was a nice, quick uh, match. But after the match, though, Malachi goes outside to grab a uh, steel chair, and Arn Anderson comes into the ring to check on his son. Malachi gets back in the ring with a steel chair, and Arn Anderson looks at him, and he tells Malachi to throw the chair down and throw the chair away. Let's fight like real men. Malachi looks at the chair, and he throws it down. He said, all right, we'll do this. Malachi does a spinning kick, but Arn Anderson is able to hold his arms up and block the kick. And that at least gets a pop out of the fans because nobody's ever like blocked the kick with their arms in WWE or in AEW. If they did in WWE, I don't remember. But Arn Anderson was able to block it. It gets a pop out of the fans. Malachi Black ends up kicking Arn Anderson square in the family jewels and then hits him with a spinning kick to the face. Malachi walks around in the ring and starts talking smack into the camera. You can't hear what he says. You just see him just talking smack. And then Big Shotty Lee Johnson comes down to the ring. Big Shotty Lee Johnson is a... Uh, not, I'm going to say he's an upcoming uh, superstar on the AEW roster. I mean, he's been on AEW. He faced Miro for the TNT Championship a couple weeks ago. He had a nice, good little match with him. But um, he comes down to the ring to check on Arn Anderson and... Brock Anderson, and he just keeps his eyes on Malachi Black. And Malachi rolls out of the ring and just looks at Shoddy Lee. He just looks at Johnson. And you just see those two just keep locking eyes, and Malachi's walking up the ramp, and that's the end of AEW. They ended with Malachi Black looking at Shoddy Lee Johnson and Johnson looking at Malachi Black. Now it's time for Impact Wrestling. But before I give you the Impact Wrestling results, I need to give you the results from their uh, show that they had last Friday on Emergence. Um, Matt Cardona beats Rahit Raju. Decay, which consists of Black Tall Roos, Crazy Steve, Havoc, and Rosemary beats the team of Falaba, No Way, Savannah Evans, and Tasha Steeles. Steve Macklin beats Petey Williams. Madison Reigns beats Taylor Wilde. Ace Austin ends up winning the number one contenders match, which is a fatal four-way, and the other competitors in the match were Moose, Chris Saban, and Sammy Callahan. Josh Alexander beats Jake something to retain the X-Division championship. Matthew Raywool and Deanna Perrazzo beats Trey Miguel and Molina. The Good Brothers retain their Impact Wrestling tag team titles when they beat the team of Mac, Willie Mack and Rich Swan, and also the team of Violence by Design, which were represented by Rhino and Diener. And in the main event, Christian Cage beats Brian Myers to retain the Impact Wrestling World title. Now on to Impact Wrestling results. The first match was Chris Saban beating Sammy Callahan by pinfall. Chris Saban hits a cradle shock on Sammy and gets the win. It was a nice uh it was a nice startup match for Impact Wrestling, but after the match, Moose comes out, throws Chris Saban out of the ring. Moose ends up spearing Sammy Callahan. Moose grabs Sammy's bat and a steel chair and sets up the chair in a way so he can hit the bat, and the bat will slide and hit Sammy's face the same way that Sammy did to Eddie Edwards years ago. And he has it all set up. He's about to do this. Eddie Edwards comes down with a kendo stick, and he starts laying in to Moose with the kendo stick, and he throws Moose outside of the ring. 
Now, Moose goes up the ramp and he's retreating. And now you have Eddie Edwards and Sammy Callahan standing in the ring, just staring at each other. And that's the end of that. Now they go to a backstage interview with Taylor Wilde. Taylor Wilde mentions why she wants a three-on-one handicap match with the influence. And the influence is the team of Madison Rain, Tennille Dashwood, and Caleb with a K. She says she wants to fight the getting vengeance for Caleb with a K and Tennille Dashwood interfering in her match at Emergence whenever she went against Madison Rain. That was the main point of that interview. Now we go backstage and we see Sammy Callahan finding Eddie Edwards. Sammy thinks Eddie and him are now friends, but Eddie has to squash that real quick. He tells him he's repaying the favor for Sammy saving him last week whenever he got beat down by W. Morrissey. Eddie tells Sammy that we are even now, so leave me alone. Now we head back to the ring, and now we get an in-ring promo from Mickey James. Mickey James is excited for the fans and the wrestlers to see uh, women wrestle at NWA's all-female pay-per-view. Mickey James even shows a promo package of Deanna Perrazzo and Melina to hype up their knockouts title match at the pay-per-view. After the video plays, Deanna Perrazzo and Matthew Rayrule come down to the ring. Deanna says she is out here to take Mickey's spotlight. Deanna also says that at Empower, she's going to retain her knockouts title over Melina. Mickey lets Deanna Peraza know that Matt isn't going to be at Empower. Now Deanna wants to fight Mickey, and those two start fighting. Matt tries to help out Deanna, but Trey Miguel comes out to make the save for Mickey. Trey takes out Matt, so now it's down to Deanna and Mickey, and Deanna's on top of Mickey just trying to like throw hands and slapping up Mickey James, but Melina ends up coming out to save Mickey James from Deanna Peraza. She ends up throwing Deanna Peraza out of the ring, and now you have Mickey and Melina just staring at Deanna, who's on the ramp, and this is just another way to hype up their match at NWA Empower. After this, we get a one-on-one match between Chris Bay, new member of the Bullet Club, going against David Finley. Chris Bay beats David Finley by pinfall, Chris Bay hits a spinning heel kick and then rolls up Finley. But as he's rolling him up and the referee's counting, Chris Bay puts his feet on the rope to give him extra leverage leverage, and gets the win. Uh, the referee doesn't see it. David Finley's trying to point out to the referee after the match that he had his foot on the rope, but that doesn't help at all. Chris Bay still wins the match. It's a nice, fun match. I advise you, if you like Chris Bay, you would want to need you would want to watch this match. After this, we go backstage, and now we have an interview with Josh Alexander. The main point is Josh says next week he will have an open challenge for any former X Division champion to face him because Josh Alexander wants to be known as the best X Division champion of all time. After this, we go back to the ring, and now we have an in-ring promo from Christian Cage. The fan starts off with chanting for Christian, and he embraces the chants. Christian says the next person to challenge him is Ace Austin at Victory Road. And he thinks, no, he knows Chris Ace Austin doesn't have a chance to uh, beat him at Victory Road for the championship. Tommy Dreamer ends up coming out to the ring. And Dreamer and Christian hug in the ring. And Dreamer says that he will love to face Christian sometime for the championship. Out comes Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. Ace introduces himself to Christian and lets him know that he has a match with him next week. Not next week, but next month for the Impact Championship. He lets him know that he wants to be the youngest 
ever Impact Wrestling Champion at the age of 24. And he lets Christian know that next month, Christian's bag is going to be a little bit lighter because he's going to beat him for the Impact Championship. Christian says as long as he's here, Ace isn't going to be the man because he will never be the Impact Champion. Ace also gets insulted by Christian because Christian tells Ace that you might want to stand on your tippy toes next time so the fans can see you over the top ropes. That upsets Ace Austin, and now Ace and Madman Fulton are fighting Dreamer and Christian. Dreamer and Christian ends up getting the better of the two and knocking both Fulton and Ace Austin out of the ring. So now you have Dreamer and Christian standing in the ring looking at Ace Austin and Madman Fulton to see if they're going to try to run back into the ring and do anything else. After this, we go to a backstage, and Ace Austin and Madman Fulton are trying to find Scott Demore. Ace asks Scott for a match with Tommy Dreamer next week. Scott ends up agreeing to the match, and he says that, you know what? I'm going to give you that match, but it's also going to need to be a give-and-take situation here. And he lets Ace know that if Dreamer wins the match next week, he's adding Dreamer to Ace Austin and Christian Cage's match at Victory Road, and it will be now a triple threat match if Dreamer wins. After this, we go back to the ring, and now it's time for the three-on-one handicap match, The Influence, which consists of Tennille Dashwood, Caleb with the K, and Madison Rain going against Taylor Wilde. The Influence beats Taylor Wilde by pinfall when Tennille Dashwood hits the spotlight kick on Taylor and gets the win. Uh, after the match, the Influence wants to continue to attack Taylor, and they do until Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering make the save to make the save for Taylor, and they send the Influence packing on backstage. After this, now it's time for the main event of the show. It was the Good Brothers going against Willie Mack and Rich Swan in a tag team uh, match. If Rich Swan and Willie Mack win, they get a future Impact Wrestling tag team title shot, and they end up winning. They win by whenever Carl Anderson was trying to go for the gun stun, but Rich Swan was able to roll up Carl Anderson and get the win. This was a good tag team match. If any two matches that I would suggest you watch Impact for is Chris Bay going against David Finley and the Good Brothers going against Willie Mack and Rich Swan this week's. It's a good, it's, those two matches are good. Um, but anyway, after the match, the Good Brothers attack both Mack and Swan. They end up throwing Rich Swan into a chair that was uh, set up in between the ropes, and they hit a magic killer on Willie Mack. After this, the Good Brothers set up a table on the outside, and they powerbomb Willie Mack through that table. And at the end of the, at the end of Impact Wrestling, you just got the Good Brothers standing there with their Impact Wrestling tag team titles over the bodies of Rich Swan and Willie Mack, and that's the end of Impact Wrestling. Now it's time for SmackDown. SmackDown starts off with Michael Cole letting the fans know at home that Pat McAfee has been dealing with COVID nineteen, basically meaning he got tested positive with it, so he won't be on SmackDown broadcast. But tonight, SmackDown broadcast will be consisted of Michael Cole. Corey Graves, who was on Raw, and Kevin Owens. Anyway, they start off with Becky Lynch coming out to the ring and addressing the fans. Becky Lynch comes out. The fans chant for Becky. Becky soaks it in. Becky starts off by saying it's good to be back and also good to be back on top, meaning being a champion. She stated that she missed the fans. She also mentioned that when she gave up the Raw Women's Championship last year, she felt like she lost a part of herself. But now she's here, she's back, and now she feels like she uh, is whole again. 
She also mentions that at SummerSlam, it was all about timing and preparation because everybody has been uh, tweeting about it and saying uh, that Becky took advantage of a situation and yada, yada, yada. But Becky ends up... she Becky hits the Conor McGregor. She says that she would like to apologize, and then she says to absolutely no one. And the crowd eats it up. This was supposed to be like... She was supposed to get booed on this situation, but that didn't happen. The fans just cheering for her because they haven't seen her in a minute and they love Becky Lynch. So I don't know what WWE wants to do with that. But anyway, Bianca Belair decides to come down to the ring and she mentions how her match at SummerSlam with Becky Lynch isn't sitting well with her. She isn't going to come out here and comply, uh, cry and complain, but she does want her championship rematch. As soon as she says that, Selena Vega comes out and tells Bianca she needs to head to the back of the line. And Selena says she wants a match with uh, Becky for the championship. Then Carmella comes out and says she wants a title match. And then you get Liv Morgan coming out and says that she doesn't understand why Carmella and Selena are out here after they keep on getting beat every single week. And then you have the jaw jagging between Carmella, Liv, and Selena. And Bianca cuts all that chatter out and tells. Becky, that I don't know why the rest, I don't know why these three are out here, but let's give the fans what they truly want to see. Me versus you tonight for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Becky takes a second and she says, nope. And then she gets out of the ring and starts walking up the back. And Bianca then turns around and looks at Carmella and Selena and Selena and Carmella are mocking how Bianca's just out here trying to like beg for a championship opportunity and Bianca just hits Selena right off the gate and then you got Carmella jumping Bianca from behind and then that sends Bianca outside of the ring now and then you got Liv Morgan hitting Carmella and sends her out of the ring and Liv Morgan is basically the last woman standing in the ring then we go to commercial break and when we come back from commercial it was announced that Selena Carmella, Liv Morgan, and Bianca Belair will be competing in a fatal four-way match or an elimination fatal four-way match, and the winner gets a future women's championship match against Becky Lynch. In the end, Bianca Belair wins the fatal four-way elimination match. Selena gets eliminated first, then Carmella, and finally Liv Morgan when Liv Morgan gets hit with a KOD by Bianca Belair to end the match. Liv Morgan had a good showing tonight. I didn't think that Liv was going to last that much they always start they always want to start with live and then they just stop they did that with the money in the bank hyping it up she was always trying to get in and then when she got in it seemed like she was going to win it for a minute but then she doesn't win by nikki ash and then she's not showing up for a minute and now she shows up now so like i said they always start and stop with Liv morgan and live guy at least got some good fanfare whenever she came out but Bianca Belair was the better uh, woman tonight, and I can't wait to see Bianca actually fight and wrestle Becky Lynch actually in a match. Then we go to a backstage promo of Paul Heyman walking to Roman's locker room. Paul gets stopped by Kayla Braxton, and she asks Paul, basically, who does he stand with by? Does he stand with the Tribal Chief Roman Reigns, or does he stand with Brock Lesnar? He tells Kayla that he has to talk to the tribal chief Roman Reigns and get the championship celebration, the family celebration set up for later tonight with the Roman Reigns and the Usos. And he lets Kayla know that he stands with the tribal chief Roman Reigns. And he tells Kayla 
will you excuse me? And as soon as he tries to open up the door to Roman Reigns' locker room, the door is locked. And Paul's just standing there. You even get a look on his face that he's perplexed at why is the door locked. And then you get the realization on his face like, okay, he knows why. So now we're left with Paul Heyman just standing outside of the locker room. They go to commercial break, and then when they come back for commercial break, they show highlights, basically pictures of what happened at SummerSlam. And then they go right back to Paul Heyman standing outside of the locker room. And Caleb Braxton is still standing there next to Paul, and Paul is just seeming there aggravated. He asks Caleb, don't you have somewhere to be, someone else to interview, someone else to bother, anybody? And then suddenly the door opens of Roman Reigns' locker room, and the Usos come out to talk to Paul Heyman. They dap Paul Heyman up and ask Paul, what's he doing standing outside of the locker room? And Paul said the door was locked, and he tells the Usos that he's trying to talk to Roman Reigns. The Usos let Paul know that Roman isn't here yet, but Paul gets questioned by the Usos, and the Usos ask Paul, he, did he know that Brock was going to be there? Brock was going to show up at SummerSlam. Paul looks at the ground and then looks at the Usos dead in the face, and he tells the Usos no. And he asks the Usos, why would he want to tear down what they have been building up this whole time, meaning Roman's world champion. The Usos are tag team champions. They're finally all on the same page after months of these guys just bickering between each other. Now they're all together, the bloodline, all together as champions. Paul is really trying to let the Usos know that, no, I didn't know that Paul that Brock was going to be there. They asked Paul, why did he send them to the back before Roman Reigns' match with Cena? Paul tells the Usos that that wasn't, that didn't that order didn't come from him. That order came from the tribal chief, in which that order does come from the tribal chief because at Money in the Bank, he did the exact same thing. He sent the Usos to the back when he had to go against the edge. And SummerSlam it was the same thing. SummerSlam they came out, they all posed up with the championships. Roman sent them to the back, and I don't know why they try to act stupid with that. Jimmy then tells Paul that he knows this family is built on trust. And that if they can't trust you, they don't trust they that you can't be a part of it. Jay steps in and says that if you didn't know Brock was going to be there, why didn't you know? And they just stare at Paul, and then they just walk right back into the locker room, and they don't let Paul in. And now Paul is standing still outside of the locker room. Now we go to in-ring competition of Cesaro going against Chad Gable. Cesaro beats Chad Gable by disqualification. This was a quick three-minute match. Uh, Cesaro was swinging... Uh, Gable and Otis gets in the ring and attacks Cesaro mid-swing. And now you got Gable and Otis just jumping down Cesaro. And Gable and Otis was able to hit their tag team finish, which is a spinning clothesline with a uh, German suplex combination on Cesaro. And after that maneuver gets hit, Otis then sets up Cesaro in a position that he can hit his second, uh, second, second turnbuckle splash. Sorry. And they leave Cesaro just lying there in the ring as Otis is standing there. And Chad Gable is just hyping it, hyping him up and just rubbing his shoulder saying, this is my number one guy. Now we head to Kayla Braxton in the parking lot as she was waiting for Roman Reigns because she got a tip that Roman Reigns was going to show up any minute now. And a car rolls up to the arena, but it wasn't Roman Reigns in the vehicle. It was Baron Corbin. I'm sorry, his name is now Happy Corbin. 
because when he pulls up to the arena, he's driving in a Bentley, he's wearing fancy clothes, he actually has his hair cut, he doesn't look bummy. That's basically the point here. Kayla gets told by Corbin that he hit it big in Las Vegas and now he's rich. And Happy Corbin is now going to go down to the ring. Now Corbin's in the ring, and the main point of this is basically Corbin is talking about how he was once down on his luck, he hit it rigging, he hit it big in Vegas, and he just wants to let people know that he's no longer poor, he's back to being rich, and it's all the way up for him. He ends up calling out Biggie because he wants to make it right, because he tried to keep on stealing Biggie's uh, money to bank contract last week, and he ends up coming down. Corbin tries to buy the money in the bank briefcase from E, e isn't trying to sell it. Corbin tells him that he's going to end up failing to cash in that money briefcase anyway, and he's going to end up miserable just like Corbin was. And Corbin's trying to make sure that E doesn't uh, be miserable. This is Corbin's way of trying to pay back E for taking his money in the bank briefcase. E says, nah, he's good. And E tells Corbin that he needs to leave this ring right now or he's going to slap the smile off of Corbin's face. Corbin ends up leaving, and that's the end of that. Now they play a video of earlier in the day by Edge. Edge mentions that he paid a price for beating Seth Rollins at SummerSlam. The price being that he had to go back to a place that he doesn't like to go. And it, he did end up going back to that dark, evil place. And how he kind of had some strain on him. How he still felt being in that dark place this week with his kids, his family, and, and, and other individuals. But now he's back to himself. He's back to normal. And he wants to move on from Rollins. He wants to move on and focus back on the Universal Championship, a thing that Seth Rollins took from him. So now Edge's whole main focus now is to move away from Seth and go back to the Universal Championship. Now they play Seth Rollins' rebuttal to Edge, and Rollins basically says congratulations to Edge. He mentioned that at SummerSlam, he lost to Edge, and Rollins mentioned that whenever he lost, and then you see Rollins have a crazed stare in his eyes whenever he mentioned the loss word. He just stops and has this crazed stare that we haven't seen in a while. The last time we saw that crazed stare was whenever, like, last year, whenever he had a whole... No, no, no. Earlier this year, whenever he beat up on Cesaro, and then you saw him uh, talk to Cesaro in the back as Cesaro was getting... Uh, uh, what's the word? Whenever people get stretchered out there, they're stretchered out of the building. And you saw the crazy look in his eyes then. We haven't seen that look since then. And he mentioned that at SummerSlam, Edge taught him something. Rollins mentioned that he has to be a little bit more like Edge. And to end it off, he says, thank you to Edge. And he just looks into the camera so creepily. I mean, his, his stare was creepy, bro. He has a cult-like leader type like stare. If you were to look at this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about whenever you see this promo. I promise you, you need to see this so you can understand that I'm picturing it wrong, I'm painting it wrong, but you'll understand what I mean when you see it. Now we head to Roman Reigns in the back. Now Roman Reigns is walking to his locker room, he's just walking so calm and chill, he's wearing a new Bloodline t-shirt, and Roman sees Paul Heyman standing outside of the locker room, and Paul isn't even looking at Roman, he's like standing there just looking down at the ground. You know how that little kid, that's bad, but then whenever he gets... Uh, next to his parents, and he doesn't look at his parents because he know he did something wrong. It was like that type of instance. Roman asks Paul, "What's he doing outside, outside of the locker room?" And Paul hesitates to answer Roman Reigns, and Roman says, "Am I going to have to open up my door now?" 
Paul says, no, my tribal chief, and then opens up the door for Roman. Roman then stands there, and as he's about to walk into the locker room, he just stands there and looks at Paul, and he says, aren't you coming in? Paul says, yes, my tribal chief. And then he walks in right with Roman Reigns. Roman is calm and collective, while Paul is still nervous because Paul doesn't know if Roman trusts him. Paul doesn't know if Roman feels like he's about to attack him or not. Paul's just wildly walking on eggshells right at this exact moment. Uh, after this, we go to in-ring competition. It's a tag team match of Rick Boogs and King Nakamura beating Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode by pinfall. It was a solid tag team match, but in the end, Rick Boogs hits a pump handle slam on Dolph to get the win. I understand SmackDown wants to bring uh, Rick into the ring and do his whole uh, teaming up with Nakamura thing. I don't know how this is going to end. Or is Rick Boogs going to be like a permanent like wrestler on the roster, even though he's been training? to be a wrestler down at NXT Performing Center for, like, years? Or is he just going to be, like, for Nakamura's thing whenever Nakamura has a tag team match and then I try to team up Nakamura with anybody, we're going to have Rick Boogs in there, and that's about it. I'm I'm waiting to see how far they really do, how far they really want to go with this Rick Boogs thing. Hopefully, he actually gets to be this guy, take away the name Rick Boogs, maybe. I'm... Matter of fact, keep the name Rick Books because people have gotten used to it, so shoot, why not? Um, yeah. After this, we get Naomi walking into Sonya Deville's office, and she asks Sonya, when's the first match on SmackDown is? Sonya looks at Naomi and is just shocked by seeing Naomi. She's like, I forgot that you were supposed to be here. And you just see Sonya just, like, really downplaying Naomi, and it takes away all the enthusiasm and out of Naomi. Sonya Deville ends up telling Naomi that she's not sure Naomi can measure up to the females on the SmackDown locker room. Naomi has to stop Sonya and say, hold up, measure up. I'm a former two-time SmackDown Women's Champion. What are you talking about measure up? And Sonya says, you know what? I'm going to have to think about it and she'll let Naomi next know next week if she's going to have a match or not. And Naomi just stands there and looks at Sonya Deville and, says, and doesn't say nothing and just walks away. Right now, this could be the perfect timing for Naomi to join up with the bloodline because this is something that needs to happen. Again, having a family, legit family dynamic on the on the program is letting the fans know, okay, yo, we're not going to try to play you guys stupid. You guys do know that we ride together. You guys do know that we are actually family and all these type of things. It just makes it much more simple for them and it makes it much more simpler for the fans to enjoy this product because we all know that Naomi's with Roman and the Usos. We all know that Naomi has been publicized on interviews every time when the Usos are around. They always make it known that Naomi drives the car. They are in the car with Naomi and Naomi ends up driving the Usos from place to place at night and all these type of things. So it would just make sense for Naomi to join up with the bloodline and just be the female to take over for the bloodline. But anyway, they go to Rey Mysterio talking to Dominic in the gorilla position. Rey Mysterio tells Dominic that he has a step back, that Rey is going to step back and let Dominic go and do things on his own. He has to tell Dominic that he's letting Dominic start learning things on his own. Still, Rey is still going to be around, like, in the back watching his son, but he's going to let Dominic just start getting firsthand experience the same way that he did last year whenever he came into the WWE and he just start having one-on-one matches that time. at that time. Now, Ray's going to let uh, Dominic do the same thing. Ray talked to Dominic saying that he got a match uh, for Dominic, but he doesn't know who his opponent is. 
and Dominic is okay. Dominic's not really okay. He's aggravated in the face, but he's trying to like put on a brave face for his father because he knows his father means well. And Ray tells his uh, son that he has all the faith in his son and that his son's going to win the match tonight. In the end, the mysterious uh, opponent is the returning Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn hasn't been on television in a good minute. So we get a Sami Zayn match out of Sami Zayn match going against Dominic. I mean, the match was straight, but Sami ends up beating Dominic whenever Sami hits him with a hula kick. And this match uh, gave Dominic some more experience to be on that another level, basically learn from a, a seasoned, uh, experienced wrestler. Ray came in. Ray came into the ring after the match and tried to check on his son, but Dominic was pushing Ray off of him, and Dominic was just aggravated that he in, that he lost the match, one, and then two, that Ray is now coming down to check in on him after he said that he was going to let Dominic start being his own guy. So you can tell that there's going to be a, like, a father versus son match somewhere down the line. That's happening. Um, now it's time for the bloodline and the family uh, celebration. But before that, you you have the bloodline and Paul Heyman at the gorilla position, and the Usos all hyped up for this whole family celebration. And Roman's music hits. The Usos ho- holds uh, the cur- the curtain open for Roman so he can walk through because he is the big man. He is the leader. But before he even walks through, Paul Heyman tries to hand Roman his universal title. And usually Roman has to ask for the universal title out of from Paul so Paul can give it to him. But Paul is trying to give it to him willingly. And Roman asks Paul, what's he doing? Paul tells Roman that this is a family celebration and he doesn't feel right. And Roman then looks at Paul and calls Paul the wise man. You are family. And he wants Paul out there with him. And now you see the bloodline and Paul Heyman walk out to the stage and Paul is still nervous because you can see whenever Roman and the Usos walk out on the stage and Paul's next to him you see Paul's eyes look at Roman and you can still see the nervousness still on Paul's face not knowing if he's going to get punched out or laid out by Roman but Roman is still just so calm cool and collective like he has been every single week now the bloodline and Paul Hammond are in the ring and Roman has the mic in his hand for a good solid minute and he's about to say something but then he decides he doesn't gonna, that he's not going to say anything, and he hands the mic over to Paul Heyman, and he tells Paul that to tell the fans to acknowledge him. Paul gets on the mic and he tells the fans that to acknowledge Roman Reigns, and the fans are cheering. And you hear some boos, but you hear a lot of cheering in this. And then you hear Roman tell Paul again that they need to acknowledge the Usos, and Paul's hits it with, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, this is for the first time ever, you guys are able to acknowledge the undisputed SmackDown Tag Team Champions, the Usos. And the fans are cheering, and you even hear a whole lot of Usos, Usos, just chanting out of the crowd. The fans love these guys right now. And then you hear Roman tell Paul again that to tell the fans how bad he beat up John Cena at SummerSlam. Paul tells the fans how bad Roman Reigns beat up John Cena. And it's just a whole like celebration for Roman and the Usos just basically finally being on one page. And before Roman can even get the mic back for Paul Heyman, after all this has been said and done, Finn Balor's music hits and Finn Balor comes out to the ring. 
Finn Balor says that he got robbed out of his match with Roman Reigns at SummerSlam by John Cena, and that he's going to take care of John Cena when the time is right. And I wonder when that time is right, because I thought Finn was going to cost uh, Cena in the match at SummerSlam, but you see that didn't happen. And he mentioned how Edge wants the Universal title and how Brock is back. Finn doesn't waste no time. He gets in the ring and looks at Roman Reigns and tells him straight to his face that next week he wants to face Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. Paul is la Paul isn't laughing now. Paul is on the outside of the ring because he knows something is about to go down. And Roman and the Usos are standing right there. Roman has a smile on his face. He doesn't look like he's taking this uh, challenge any bit serious. And then you see Finn Balor just rush off and start punching on Roman. And then now you have the Usos jumping Finn from behind. And now it's a two-on-one beatdown. And then you see the Street Profits come out to make the save and save Finn Balor. And now Roman Reigns is now walking up the ramp as Finn Balor and the Street Profits are beating down on the Usos. And it ends with Finn Balor hitting a coup de gras on Jimmy Uso as Roman Reigns is standing there on the entrance ramp just looking at all this happen. So SmackDown ends with Finn Balor hitting the coup de gras on Jimmy Uso. And we're all left with, is Roman going to face Finn Balor next week for the Universal Championship? I think not. I think we're probably going to get it at Extreme Rules, but we shall see with that. But that's the end of SmackDown. Now it's time for AEW Rampage. Rampage starts out with a finals, uh, finals of the tag team tournament. It's the Lucha Bros going against Jurassic Express. The Lucha Bros beat Jurassic Express by pinfall when Penta and Phoenix hit the uh, assisted pile driver on Luchasaurus and gets the win. This match was a crazy match. I mean, the Lucha Bros and Jurassic Express was putting on a nice classic tag team match, and he had fans going nuts. He even had Giannis, uh, Giannis Akintempo from the NBA out there in, in the crowd, and they were showing mad camera shots of Giannis just losing his mind as the match was happening, and fans lost their mind too because these are two tag teams that know how to work as a tag team, and they know what they're doing in the ring, but anyway, I suggest you go and watch this match. It's a real good match, but after the match, the Young Bucks run down and attack the Lucha Bros. They were able to get a couple hits off on the Lucha Bros until Jurassic Express comes back in the ring and runs uh, the Young Bucks off. But that's the end of that. So now at All Out, we do know that the Young Bucks will be going against the Lucha Brothers for the AEW Tag Team Championships in a steel cage. After this, we get a Miro in-ring promo. But before Miro even comes down to the ring, you see Fuego Del Sol is thrown out of the entrance tunnel. And right behind him is Miro. Miro is now kicking Fuego Del Sol down the entrance ramp. And then he decides to throw Fuego into the ring. Miro has a mic at his hand at this time, and he tells Fuego that he said that he will forgive Fuego for taking the contract from AEW, but before he does that, he has to reveal his face to the world, and Miro just snatches Fuego's mask off, and Fuego immediately puts his hands up to cover his face, and this gives Miro the perfect opportunity to superkick Fuego right dead in the face. And Miro does this, but Fuego is still covering up his face, his face is head uh, face down on the mat so you can't see his face. And now you hear Eddie Kingston's music hit, and Eddie Kingston walks out of the entrance tunnel, stands on the stage for a minute, he turns his baseball cap around, and then he runs down to the ring, and now you have Kingston and Miro, just these two men just brawling with one another. Again, Miro did say that Kingston is the original sinner, so he wants to take care of Kingston, because remember, Miro is God's champion. 
And now you have Kingston and Miro brawling with each other, and you have referees now coming down to the ring to separate these two men. And it has been confirmed at All Out. It will be Kingston going against Miro for the TNT Championship. After this, we have another in-ring match of the Bunny beating Ty Conti by pinfall. Uh, Ty Conti was taking care of this match. She was beating up the Bunny majority of the match until the Bunny hit Ty Conti with brass knuckles when Penelope Ford came down and distracted the referee and the Blade handed the Bunny the brass knuckles and which allowed the Bunny to hit Ty Conti with the brass knuckles and get the win and pin Ty Conti. Uh, after this, we go to the main event now. It's Christian Cage and Frankie Kazarian going against Brandon Cutler and Kenny Omega. You should know exactly where I'm about to go with this. Christian Cage and Frankie Kazarian beats Brandon Cutler and Kenny Omega because Brandon Cutler took majority of the damage in this match. This match was basically to let Brandon get some in-ring time, but also let the people know that Brandon is not uh, a capable and worthy competitor at all. This guy is just here to be a, a funny asset to the elite, and he's here to be the elite's whipping boy, and that's all this was. Brandon took a lot of punishment in this match from Kazarian and Christian Cage, and in the end, Brandon ends up getting hit with a kill switch whenever Kenny Omega starts walking up the ramp because Kenny was trying to hit Christian with the one-winged angel, but that didn't happen, and so he had to run out of the ring and start going up the ramp. So Kenny Omega saw Brandon Cutler get hit with a kill switch and get pinned, and that's the end of that. So at the end of Rampage, it was Christian standing in the ring with the Impact Championship, just staring at Kenny Omega on the ramp with the AEW Championship to hype up their match next week at All Out for the AEW World Championship match. World Championship. And that's the end of AEW Rampage. Now, let me talk about John Cena for, for a quick bit, because I know it's already been an hour and 35 minutes, so you guys just listen to me talk about professional wrestling. Um, I want to talk about John Cena just for this quick minute, because uh, I want to do a deeper dive later, but I'm just talking about this for a minute. John Cena is important to professional wrestling. John Cena has been a fixture in professional wrestling for the last, what, almost 20 years 2002 would be his legit 20th year in professional wrestling at least on wwe level so i'll give it 19 years but anyway almost 20 years in wwe 20 years from the main time mainstream wwe john cena has been a fixture in make-a-wish for a long time john cena is the most he's the most uh named make-a-wish guy throughout the whole world and that's been record books legitimately he gets asked for and requested more than Justin Bieber or more than any type of musical star or anybody or any other athlete or any other entertainer. John Cena is the most make-a-wish uh, guy, literally, throughout the whole thing. And Why does that play a part into John Cena? Why does that matter to you, Gerald? Well, here's why it matters. Uh, whenever Suicide Squad, the new Suicide Squad movie came out, right? And John Cena's playing Peacemaker. I didn't know what type of guy John Cena was going to be in the movie. But John Cena played Peacemaker perfectly, at least in my idea of what Peacemaker should be whenever you hear and think about what Peacemaker is. He's a guy that will do anything for peace. And if it means killing people, hey, he'll do that just to get peace. And in the movie, you hear John Cena talk about what he would do to make sure peace and all this type of stuff. And in the end, he ends up, well... I'm not going to say all that. If you haven't seen it, you got another couple more weeks until HBO Max take it off their uh, streaming platform. So I suggest you looking at it. But anyway, the movie, 
highlights how John Cena can be an excellent bad guy character if he needs to be. And I, as soon as I got done watching the movie, I started saying, dang, Vince, dang you, Vince. How did you not give us John Cena as a bad guy for all these years after just witnessing what John Cena can be as the perfect prickish bad guy on the Suicide movie? I mean, John Cena, whenever he came out into WWE in 20, like, not 20, uh, 2002, he was a, like, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just a natural, normal, like, good guy character. He didn't really have much verbiage. He didn't really talk much. He just went out there and wrestled. But in 2003, all that changed. He had the whole rap rapper persona. He was a prick. But he was able to rap and be entertaining with his prickishness. And now with John Cena be more seasoned and more uh, experienced in the ring, I wanted to see, and the fans wanted to see John Cena be a prick and a bad guy villain, just like he, we would have gotten out of the Suicide Squad. And that whole thing resonated and just really sat with me as I was watching it. And just like, why didn't Vince give us this John Cena? Why didn't he let Vince, John Cena be a heel? Why didn't and why? And then it really hit me this week whenever I went to Twitter. And a guy posted up a video of John Cena sitting down and watching a kid talk about how John Cena was so inspirational to him and his mother. Because the kid broke down about how John Cena gave him his wristband and how his mother at the time was going through breast cancer. And that how he gave his mother John Cena's uh, wristband and John Cena says never give up so he wants his mom to never give up. And in the video, the kids start crying, crying and breaking down a little bit because John Cena has been so important. He's been a fixture in his life. And the message of John Cena's message of never giving up is so important. And he breeds a lot of light. Just that simple verbiage of never give up. Just like Nike, just do it. That is the, exactly the equivalent of John Cena's never give up. You have to just constantly just do it. Just constantly push through anything that you anything that you're going through. And John Cena sees this, and you can see John Cena start not even tearing up. You can just feel the emotion in this video. And then John Cena mentioned how the kid has perspective, and now the kid understands the things and everything else. And then you see John Cena just want not, he's trying to hold it together. And then the, uh, uh, the paper, like a paper mache is in between John Cena and uh, something else. And he, Paper mache gets tear down and the kid walks through and you can see John Cena like get shocked by it. And then he has to quickly like put himself back together so he won't be crying on the camera or anything. So John just walks over to the kid and the kid says, thank you to John Cena. And John Cena says, no, 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 thank you. And then he hugs the kid and then his kid's mom comes out and the kid's mom has John Cena's wristband in a, a casing and they just all uh, get together and they all talk about how Johnson has been a legit fixture and a inspiration to this family. John Cena in that moment made me understand why he never turned heel, why Vince never turned John Cena heel. John Cena is a role model to these children. He is. So you can't ever get truly mad that he never turned a bad guy. You can never get that upset when you see this type of video. 
Because you got to understand, John Cena has dealt with mad kids being their um, Make-A-Wish guy, being their uh, star that they want to see. Because Make-A-Wish, usually, you know what Make-A-Wish is. These kids don't got long to live on this earth or whatever the case may be. And their final wish on this earth is to meet or do something. And their final wish is just to see John Cena and talk to John Cena. So John has seen many kids. And he has gotten letters from families whenever the kid has passed away. And talking about how their kid loved John Cena. And how their, how many John Cena was a great uh, privilege for the kid before he actually transitioned over. And John Cena takes on that burden every day. We don't see these type of things. It's almost like a, it's almost like, and I got to bring my mom back into this, uh, person working into the home profession field. My mother would constantly deal with these people that are in these environments, not even environments, they're in these situations that they know they ain't got much to live. They know that any day they're, they literally, time will be up and they're transitioning over. But they're getting taken care of by somebody in the home profession, home medical profession, to come in, take care of them, put clothes on them, feed them, and all these type of things. And that medical profession, that home profession person now is almost becoming accustomed into that person's life, almost a fixture. Because every day they see them, every day they wash them, every day they clothe them, every day they feed them. And they end up having some emotional connections to them. And you got to wonder about the psychological uh, stress it is on the home care person. Because whenever that person passes, do they feel a piece of, not even a piece of them, but do they feel some sadness? Of course they feel sadness, but you got to, how do they feel after seeing somebody go, after you go away or transition after you have been with them? constantly every day and seeing them every day and then you know that okay that's just a part of the job you got to go to somebody else does that weigh on you mentally does it play into the back of your head these are the questions that never really truly get answered they say it's always a part of the job but okay that might be a part of the job but psychologically how is that weighing on you emotionally is that just something that you bury deep down inside and never let people know until you're in a place by yourself and then you just start thinking about all the people that you have met in your life that you have taken care of and now they're not here and does that question your morality see these are the questions that i think that john cena has within himself i think these are the questions that people in the medical field have within themselves these two entities john cena as being as entertainer as being a make-a-wish guy and the people in the medical field does this stuff question your morality? But anyway, getting back to John. John never turned heel because of that exact reason. He was a fixture in these kids' life. He was His whole message of never giving up was a big thing. And I just want to say thanks to John Cena for that because if you got to be a role model, you got to be. You might not, you don't ever sign up to be a role model ever in this life. You don't ever sign up to be a role model. You don't. You. Whenever you become an entertainer or become a rock star, become a movie star, whatever the case may be, that shines a whole lot of light onto you. You never ask to be a, you never ask for it. You never ask to be a role model. You never ask for children to really look up to you. 
even though in vice versa, when you were a kid, you looked up to somebody else and now you're in that primetime position. You never asked to be a role model whenever you're in these spots, but you got to know that comes with the territory. And as a podcaster would say, or Joe Budden would say, the gig is the gig. You know what you signed up for. So you got to take that with the gig. That's part of the gig. You can't ask for limelight and say you're not a role model. Even though Charles Barkley might say, I'm not a role model. Technically, you are. Even though all these celebs might say, I'm not a role model. And all these t- technically, you are. You can say that you're not. You can say, I never asked to be a role model. But the gig is the gig. You're in these spotlights now where kids and every other person is going to look at you. So it's all about how you want to move. And John Cena has moved greatly. He's moved excellently. He doesn't make any bad moves. He doesn't make any bad judgments in the public. And then when he does, he comes out and apologizes immediately because guess what? He's just a guy. He never does anything maliciously. He's just a guy. But getting way back to the point, John Cena is a great fixture in the professional wrestling landscape. He's a great fixture in the WWE landscape. And more importantly, he's just a great fixture as a human being. Because if you see John, you know that he's going, he's just a guy that's out here just to have fun. He's out here just to uh, put smiles on kids' faces whenever he's on WWE television. That's all he's out here to do. If you have fun as an adult watching John Cena, congratulations for you. If you have fun as a, as a teenager watching John Cena, congratulations for you. John's the entertainer. But at the end of the day, he knows that his number one bread and butter are children that are looking at him. So he never wants to be a bad example for these children. Yes, he makes Suicide Squad movies or Vacation for Friends. He makes adult family movies whenever he gets the opportunity. But whenever you see him on WWE programming, just know that that is for the children. We can't just start saying, boo, John Cena for uh, never wanting to turn heel. We got to get that out of our heads as professional wrestling fans now. We got to get that out of our heads now. It was never meant. It was never meant to be. Once he became a huge star, it was never meant to be anymore. Once he started making these make-a-wishes and WWE was publicizing this years ago, we should have knew as fans that that heel turn is never happening because John Cena is too much of a fixture in these kids' life, too much of a role model, too much of a nice symbolism of a beacon of hope for these children in these dark times. So again, John Cena is important to professional wrestling just just for being a beacon of hope for children alone. And I'm not talking about his in-ring work. I'm just talking about him just being a guy that fans, that children want to see before they transition or just a person that children just look up to because John Cena symbolizes a guy that never gives up and a guy that always wants to do the right thing. And that's basically what this new generation is now. These kids are kids that want to do the right thing. You see a lot of kids stepping out into doing uh, uh, community service work, and they want to change past uh, rules. They want to try to change the norm for what people used to get away with. They now want to change that to saying, you guys were bugging back in the day. How do you guys let this stuff happen? And I believe that John Cena, in a way, has some some clout with these kids because John Cena has always been that guy. He's always been the guy that wants to do right and uh, never give up. So again, I'm rambling on. John, thanks to John Cena for doing that. And 
I want to dig into his wrestling career, like really his in-ring work, and then uh, let everybody know how he's become the greatest wrestling magician somewhere down the time. But right now, I just felt that after watching the video of the kid talking about his mother uh, having breast cancer and John Cena being a fixture and a light for him and his mom, I thought that that really needed to be talked about. So again, uh, thanks to John Cena for doing that for the kids. And I want to thank you all for listening to me. Um, I don't know what else to say. Oh yeah, I know what else to say. Um, I got a podcast. I got a podcast uh, tomorrow. Uh, you guys know the Sunday podcast where I talk about anything in the news or anything uh, I want to talk about. But I'm gonna be talking about certain things in the news this week. And uh, yeah, that's all I got to say now. Um, remember, you can always catch this podcast episodes for last uh, past podcast episodes on Podbeam, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Remember, if you want to reach me, is on uh, my Twitter is at My2Podcast. My Instagram is My2CentsPodcast, G2, all one worded up. And if you want to email me anything, it's My2CentsPod at Yahoo.com. And remember, it's not T-W-O or T-O-O. It's always the number two in all these uh, social media links. And again, I want to thank you all for listening to me ramble off uh, the wrestling highlights of the week and also talk about how John Cena has been a fixture in professional wrestling. And uh, I hope you guys want to listen to my Sunday episode. But if not, I will see you guys uh, next week for Saturday. And we're back at it again next week. It's going to be a legit Friday, Saturday, and Sunday podcast. No, no, no. Yeah, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Sorry, Saturday, Sunday, Monday podcast. Because All Out has their pay-per-view next week. So just to get you guys uh, revved up for that. But uh, anyway, this isn't goodbye. This is until you hear this sweet voice again. I want to thank you all for uh, listening to me. But again, this has been my Two Cents podcast uh, hosted by G2. And this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I love you all. I want you to have a blessed Saturday. And please just make it safe to your destination. But if you're not going anywhere, just have a great Saturday and enjoy yourself and just relax and enjoy the rest of this uh, day and your weekend. And with that, I want to say thank you. Bye-bye now. This has been my Two Cents Podcast, uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by G2. I love you all. Bye-bye. I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept.